the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I know, I sound a little off. Well, I had gallbladder surgery on uh, on Monday. They removed my gallbladder. I didn't know I had one or where it was, but I know now, and I'm in the process of recuperating. So, uh, you know, whenever there's a surgery, they tend to put some kind of tubing down your throat, and this was no exception. So my voice is a bit scratchy. I sound worse than I feel in my throat, although I have to admit uh, the incisions that are required to have a laparoscopic gallbladder removal pretty painful, but we're managing all of that. But I wanted to come back and um, do the show here today. We'll see how I do. We have a plan B <laughs> if I'm um, too difficult to listen to. So hang in there if you if you can. Today, we're going to share a conversation I had with James Gall. He's the author of The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. That's coming up in the five o'clock hour today. Well, Governor Inslee, the state of Washington's governor, announced a new incentive for medical providers to proactively reach out to patients who have not received their COVID-19 vaccine yet, and they launched their COVID-19 incentive for military members and veterans. Well, Governor Inslee announced uh, today during a press conference that Washington is launching a new COVID-19 incentive called A Hero's Thanks for the state's military members and veterans. Well, the new incentive comes just two weeks after the state launched the Shot of a Lifetime lottery for all Washington residents who've received one dose of COVID-19, the vaccine. However, Governor Inslee said that the state's military and anyone who'd received their vaccine through the military wouldn't be eligible for this lottery because the state doesn't have access to the federal government's vaccination data. Well, the new promotion will apply to military, military staff, their family members, and veterans who are vaccinated through the Department of Defense, Veterans Affairs, or the National Guard. A hero's thanks is separate from the state's other vaccine incentives, the governor said. There will be one drawing per week for three weeks beginning the 20th of July. Uh, governor Inslee's office said there will be uh, cash prizes of $100,000, $250 uh, Amazon gift cards, and $100 state gift cards up for grabs. Then on the third week, there's going to be a $250,000 cash prize. I just wonder, where is the cash coming from for these um, incentives? Well, Governor Inslee also announced a new incentive for medical providers that's being offered through an emergency order from the insurance commissioner, Mike Kreidler. Well, the order lets medical providers bill insurance companies for reaching out to patients who have not been vaccinated. The, uh, the new incentives come just two days after Governor Inslee said that the state is going to fully reopen on the 30th of June, whether the population hits the 70% vaccination goal or not. We all knew that we were going to open on June the 30th. We are very close. We are just on the second yard line. No matter what happens, we are going to open up on June the 30th, he said, uh, in um, Vancouver, 
during a Tuesday talk. Well, the latest data of, on the Washington State Department of Health uh, website shows just over 67% of residents 16 years or older have been vaccinated against COVID-19. Meanwhile, the state has uh, seen nearly 410,000 confirmed cases and 5,801 deaths as a result of the virus. Governor Inslee said in a statement uh, on Tuesday, I am hopeful Washingtonians will get vaccinated for their own health and that their loved ones and to uh, help move our state closer to a full reopening. Following the press conference today, Governor Inslee uh, raised the uh, pride flag at the state capitol around noon for LGBT Pride Month. Now, what is it that goes before a fall? Just trying to recall. Well, the Supreme Court sided unanimously with a Catholic foster agency in a dispute against the city's Philadelphia, um, city of Philadelphia, rather, over whether it should be banned from participating in the city's foster program because it excludes same-sex couples. Well, the group Catholic Social Services claimed that Philadelphia's attempts to exclude the Catholic Church from foster care violated the First Amendment. Lawyers for the city, meanwhile, said the CSS lacks the constitutional right to demand that DHS offer it uh, a contract that omits the same non-discrimination requirements uh, every other FFCA must follow when performing services for the city, end quote. Well, in a 9-0 to zero ruling, the justice is sided with Catholic Social Services. CSS seeks only to uh, an accommodation that will allow it to continue serving the children of Philadelphia in a manner consistent with its religious beliefs. It does not seek to impose those beliefs on anyone else, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote in a majority opinion. The refusal of Philadelphia to contract with CSS, again, Catholic Services, for the provision of foster care services unless it agrees to certify same-sex couples as foster parents cannot survive strict scrutiny and violates the First Amendment, end quote. Well, Roberts was joined on his opinion um, by Justice Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Barrett herself wrote a concurring opinion, uh, which was joined fully by Kavanaugh and partially by Justice Breyer. As the court's opinion today explains, the government contract at issue provides for individualized exemptions from its non-discrimination rule, uh, thus triggering strict scrutiny, Barrett wrote. And all nine justices agree that the city cannot uh, satisfy strict scrutiny. Well, Justice Samuel Alito wrote a concurring opinion that was joined by Justice Neil Gorsuch and Clarence Thomas. Gorsuch wrote, Gorsuch rather, wrote a concurrence with Thomas and Alito joining in. Well, the unanimous rule on such a hot button issue comes as many on the left are calling for the packing of the Supreme Court and some on the right are saying the court is rejecting those calls through a series of unanimous or nearly unanimous options. The case will also be considered a massive victory for social conservatives who say it, that it protects religious freedom. Today, the Supreme Court rightly affirmed that the Constitution guarantees faith-based agencies freedom from government harassment and discrimination because of their religious beliefs about marriage. That's a quote from the Catholic vote president, Brian Birch, in a statement. The ACLU, however, and not surprisingly, said that the court did not recognize a license to discriminate based on religious beliefs. Opponents of LGBTQ equality have been seeking to undo hard-won non-discrimination protections by asking the court to establish a constitutional right to opt out of such laws when discrimination is motivated by religious beliefs. That was a quote from Leslie Cooper, Deputy Director of the ACLU, LGBTQ, and HIV Project, in a statement. This is the second time in four years that the court has declined to do so. This is good news for LGBTQ people and for everyone who depends 
on the protections of non-discrimination laws. The majority opinion written by uh, Roberts also included a uh, citation of one of the major religious freedom rulings in uh, recent years, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. Our society has come to the recognition that gay persons and gay couples cannot be treated as social outcasts or as inferior or in uh, dignity and worth. Roberts wrote, quoting the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, on the facts of this case, however, this interest cannot uh, just de- uh, justify denying CAS or CSI rather uh, the exception for its religious exercise. The creation of a system of exemptions under the contract undermine the city's connection uh, that its non-discrimination policies can brook no departures. The city's efforts, or rather offers, no compelling reason why it has a particular interest in denying an exception to CSS while making them available to others. Meanwhile, First Liberty says this about the decision. In a major victory for religious liberty today, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled 9-0 to zero that religious organizations cannot be disqualified from serving children and families through government programs simply because of their religious beliefs. First Liberty filed a friend of the court brief in the case on behalf of Galen Black, a plaintiff from the landmark 1990 Supreme Court case, Employment Division versus Smith. The following statement may be attributed to Kelly Shackelford, president, CEO, and chief counsel at First Liberty Institute. Punishing religious organizations for acting consistently with their sincerely held religious beliefs is wrong. The court ensured that religious adoption providers can continue their centuries-old work serving families and children without suffering government discrimination because they believe that the best home for a child includes a mother and a father. This is a tremendous victory for religious liberty. Finally, the Family Research Council praised the decision, again 9-0, to zero, by the U.S. Supreme Court in Fulton versus Philadelphia today, which unanimously upheld the First Amendment right of Catholic social services. Although CSS has provided foster services in Philadelphia for more than 200 years, in 2018, the city of Philadelphia stopped referring children to CSS because of the organization's religious belief in one man, one woman, Uh, In marriage, the court's decision today prohibits Philadelphia or any other government entity from discriminating against any organization because of their religious beliefs. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, FM News 101 learned late Wednesday night that in response to the criminal indictment of Officer Corey Budworth, the Bureau's entire rapid response team resigned. Sources uh, with the Portland Police Bureau say the team voted unanimously to disband. Well, the rapid response team is a group of volunteer officers who respond to civil disobedience, demonstrations, and riots. Well, Tuesday, a member of that team was charged with assault for actions during an August 18, 2020 riot in southeast Portland. Well, Wednesday, Portland Police Association Executive Director Daryl Turner told the Lars Larson show that he feared officers would quit in response to what he called a witch hunt of a prosecution. In its own investigation, the Portland Police Bureau determined no wrongdoing by the officer. He did not violate training or department rules. He did his job within the scope of the law. Well, FM News 101 has reached out to the Portland Police Bureau for comment. The mayor, top police officials, and executive director of the Portland Police Union are meeting today to discuss this, um, this outcome. But again, a, a criminal indictment of Officer Corey Budworth um, led to the Bureau's entire rapid response team resigning. The Department of Justice is seeking the uh, 
the account information of Don McCann, President Trump's top White House lawyer, Apple informed former Trump administration White House counsel Don McCann that the Justice Department subpoenaed information about an email account of his in 2018 and forbade Apple from letting him know, according to a New York Times report. McCann's wife also received a notice of the same kind. The report said with one source telling the newspaper that Apple received the subpoena on the 23rd of February and another saying it came from a federal grand jury in Eastern District of Virginia. Well, the report was uh, light uh, on details about the Department of Justice's investigation, noting that it was unknown what federal investigators were looking into or whether McGann himself was their primary focus or someone with whom he had been in contact. Well, the Times source told the publication that Apple did not tell McCann what uh, what they had turned over. The Times report did note that Apple received the McCann subpoena uh, weeks after another subpoena related to an investigation of leaked information related to the Russia probe. Well, that subpoena reported by the Times last week covered information including records belonging to California Democratic Representative Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell, both fierce critics of uh, former President Trump while he was in office. In other developments, a squad member says it's uh, time for one Supreme Court justice to call it quits. Hmm, I wonder which one they're referring to. And a testy Speaker Pelosi is trying to put Ilhan Omar's controversy, uh, plural controversies, behind her. Good luck with that. Trey Gowdy slammed the media for abandoning its role as a neutral referee. And Lindsey Graham says if you don't like the trajectory of the country, vote in 2022. A CNN panel reacted to Vice President Harris's cringeworthy border answer. CNN Sunday anchor Abby Phillip reacted to the vice president's uh, infamous interview when she was questioned about her absence at the U.S. southern border, despite being appointed by the president to manage the growing crisis occurring uh, on that border. It's just a little cringeworthy, and I know that her allies in the White House and elsewhere are watching it and just kind of wondering what's going on, Phillip. Uh, said. Her comment is a reference to Vice President Harris's interview with NBC anchor Lester Holt. Earlier this week, Holt pressed the vice president on the unraveling uh, migrant crisis and pointed out that she has uh, yet to visit the southern border. At some point, you know, we are going to the border. We've been to the border, Harris said. So this whole this whole this whole thing about the border. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. That's a direct quote. You haven't been to the border, Holt told her, and I haven't been to Europe, Harris uh, chuckled. I don't understand the point that you're making. Well, virtually everyone else understood it. She deflected the question. In other developments, the Border Patrol Union president says Vice President Harris is advocating for lawlessness. And President Biden at the G7 says U.S. Uh, the U.S. and Russia can work together to help the people of Libya. He meant to say Syria, aides say. Israel's Netanyahu pledged uh, we'll be back as his record 12-year run as prime minister came to an end. In other developments, the local Alabama ABC anchor who broke the Clinton tarmac story is dead at 45. And New York City and Chicago see another wave of weekend gun violence. An NPR writer doubles down saying he's proud of his uh, panned piece urging Tom Hanks to be an anti-racist, which is apparently something different uh, from just being opposed to racism. Soccer players are, uh, took to the knee before a game as social justice gestures, but the crowd wasn't having it. G7 chided China on rights and demands that COVID origins be investigated. And forget going back to the office. People are just quitting instead. Well, the UK's uh, Boris Johnson is set to announce a delay to the end of COVID restrictions. And uh, Musk says Tesla will accept bitcoins when miners use more clean energy.
President Biden slammed Republicans while on foreign soil in a break with political norms. The president blasted former President Donald Trump and Republicans during a press conference following a NATO summit in Brussels on Monday, even though Biden's campaign ripped Trump in 2019 for waging a political attack overseas. Biden blasted former President Trump's phony populism in response uh, to a reporter's question about what Biden has said it uh, to allies uh, who may be wary of trusting the United States post-Trump. Republicans and Democrats have long observed a tradition that politics stop at the water's edge. It is a shock and surprise that what's happening in terms of the consequence of President Trump's phony populism has happened, Biden said on Monday. It is disappointing that so many of my Republican colleagues in the Senate, who I know better, have been uh, reluctant to take on, for example, an investigation because they're worried about uh, being primaried uh, that's why it's so important that I succeed in my agenda. That was a rather convoluted sentence, but it was a quote. Biden appeared to be referencing uh, an investigation into the events of January 6th. It's important that we demonstrate we can make progress and continue to make progress. And I think we're going to be able to do that, he continued. So as I said, the proof will be uh, in where it is in six months from now where we are. But I think you're uh, going to see that, God willing. We're going to be making progress and there's going to be a coalescing of a lot of Republicans, particularly younger Republicans who are coming up in the party, end quote. Again, I'll leave that to you to make sense of. In other developments, Sean Hannity slammed President Biden's trip abroad as an unmitigated failure. G7 globalists like Biden because he's good for them, not because he's good for the U.S., Hemingway and Farage both said. The media ignored Biden's attack against the GOP while abroad after shredding Trump for violating political norms. Standards change, however. Reporters asked the president about Putin and the GOP at the NATO press conference. Avoid mentioning China, however. Well, the House Republican pressed a bill to prevent Vice President Harris from traveling overseas again before visiting the U.S. border. Iowa Republican Representative Ashley Henson appeared on the House floor Monday to press for legislation that would bar Vice President Harris from taxpayer-funded international travel until she visits the southern border first. The vice president, whom President Biden deputized to lead efforts in Central America to eradicate the root causes of the massive waves of illegal immigrants heading from there to the U.S. border, has faced strong Republican criticism for not bothering to experience firsthand the crisis she's playing a role in ending or rather, not playing a role in ending. This crisis is worsening by the day, yet the vice president has refused to go to the border herself and talk to the brave law enforcement officers, the men and women who are fighting this on the front lines. Uh, this out-of-sight, out-of-mind approach is a disgrace, Henson said, on the House floor. She's been uh, to yarn shops. She's been to bakeries. She just flew uh, right over the crisis at our southern border to meet the foreign countries with the taxpayer's checkbook in hand. When asked why she hasn't visited the border, she laughed. She laughed, and this is no laughing matter. The border crisis impacts the safety and security of every um, loman, of every American. Every state uh, is a border state right now. Well, Henson asked for immediate consideration for her measure, but Democrats rebuffed her. House Rules Committee Chairman Jim McGovern uh, out of Massachusetts, rejected the proposal as unserious and said it was not worth discussing any further. The White House repeatedly has made the point that Harris was put in charge of addressing the reasons why migrants are leaving their homes, not border security itself. 
By the way, the vice president has gone 83 days without visiting the border since being tapped for the crisis. Representative Issa points out that the vice president continues to refuse invites to the border as some Democrats visit Mexico. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to remind you, our Father's Day $1,000 giveaway is still up and running, and it's not too late for you to enter to win. If you'd like to help make Father's Day extra special this year for your dad, you can enter our Father's Day giveaway winning $1,000 in cash for your dad. Now, we've made it easy for you to participate. Just go to kpdq.com, enter the keyword FATHER, and to increase your opportunity to win, you can enter once every day, now through the 20th. Plus, uh, we're providing you with bonus entries you can earn as well. Enter today at kpdq.com, the keyword FATHER. That's a pretty good deal, $1,000 for a dad. Well, the North Korean defector says even North Korea hasn't... uh, Uh, was not this nuts after attending an Ivy League school. As American educational institutions continue to be called into question, a North Korean defector fears the United States' future is as bleak as North Korea after she attended one of the country's most prestigious universities. Uh, Yemni Park has experienced plenty of struggle and hardship, but she doesn't call herself a victim. One of several hundred North Korean defectors settled in the United States. The 27-year-old transferred to Columbia University uh, from South Korean University in 2016 and was deeply disturbed by what she found. I expected that I was paying this fortune all this time and energy to learn how to think. But they are forcing you to think the way they want you to think, Park said in an interview. I realized, wow, this is insane. I thought America was different, but I saw so many similarities to what I saw in North Korea that I started worrying. Well, those similarities include anti-Western sentiment, collective guilt, and suffocating political correctness. Park and her mother first fled the oppressive North Korean regime in 2007 when um, Yanmi was 13 years old. That's what is happening in America, she continued. People see things, but they're just completely lost. They've lost the ability to think critically. House Republicans launched a campus free speech caucus to fight liberal indoctrination on uh, college campuses. And a North Korean defector warns of Marxist parallels between cancel culture and the Kim regime. A Loudoun County teacher has spoken out on critical race theory, saying this um, isn't what I signed up for. And companies are pushing employees to prove they are vaccinated from COVID-19. And uh, COVID-19 visas are uh, backlogged, while travel curbs uh, put uh, a strain on businesses in need of workers. Israel launched airstrikes on Hamas after a balloon attack, Israel's defense forces say. They launched a counterattack into Gaza after a balloon attack sent incendiary devices floating into southern Israel. The uh, counterstrike, which happened on Tuesday evening in the U.S. uh, and early Wednesday morning local time, that's time, not in the U.S., targeted Hamas military compounds, according to the IDF. The targets were used by Hamas Khan Yunus and Gaza brigades for terror activities, according to the IDF. The Hamas terror organization is responsible for all events transpiring in the Gaza Strip and will bear the consequences for its actions, the military said in a statement. The IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, is prepared for any scenario, including a resumption of hostilities in the face of continuing terror activities from the Gaza Strip. 
Authorities on both sides said there was uh, there were no injuries. The Times of Israel reported the violence comes just three weeks after a ceasefire halted 11 days of fighting that marked the worst clashes between the IDF and Hamas militants since a small-scale war back in 2014. In other developments, President Biden revealed uh, nine ambassador nominations, including Thomas Nides and Sully Sullenberger. Who is Naftali Bennett? Well, that's Israel's new leader. The Associated Press reports that Naftali Bennett, who was sworn in on Sunday as Israel's new prime minister, embodies many of the contradictions that define the 73-year-old nation. He is a religious Jew who made millions in the mostly secular high-tech sector, a champion of the settlement movement who lives in a Tel Aviv suburb, and a former ally of Benjamin Netanyahu, who has partnered with centrists and left-wing parties to end his 12-year rule. His ultra-nationalist uh, Yemeni party won just seven seats in the 120-member Knesset in March elections, the fourth such vote in two years. But by refusing to commit to Netanyahu or his opponents, Bennett positioned himself as kingmaker. Even after uh, one member of his religious nationalist party abandoned him to protest the new coalition deal, he ended up with the crown. Bennett has uh, long positioned himself to the right of Netanyahu, but he will be severely constrained by his uh, unwieldy coalition, which has uh, only a narrow majority in uh, parliament and includes parties from the right, the left and the center. He is opposed to Palestinian independence, strongly supports Jewish settlements in the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem, which the Palestinians and much of the international community see as a major obstacle to peace. Bennett fiercely criticized Netanyahu after the prime minister agreed to slow settlement construction under pressure from then-President Obama, who tried and failed to revive the peace process early in his first term. He briefly served as head of the West Bank Settlers Council uh, before entering the Knesset in 2013. Bennett later served as cabinet minister of diaspora affairs, education and defense in various Netanyahu-led governments. He is a right-wing leader, a security hardliner, but at the same time very pragmat- uh, pragmatic. That's what Johanan Plesner says. He's the head of the Israel De- Democracy Institute, who has known Bennett for decades and served with him in the military. He expects Bennett to engage with other factions to find a common denominator as he seeks support and legitimacy as a national leader. The 49-year-old father of four shares Netanyahu's hawkish approach to the Middle East conflict, but the two have had uh, tense relations over uh, the years. Bennett served as Netanyahu's chief of staff for two years, but they parted ways after a mysterious falling out that Israeli media linked to Netanyahu's wife, Sarah, who wields great influence over her husband's inner circle. Bennett campaigned as a right-wing stalwart ahead of the March elections and signed a pledge on national TV saying that he would never allow Yair Lapid, a centrist and Netanyahu's main rival, to become prime minister. But when it became uh, clear that Netanyahu was unable to form a ruling coalition, that's exactly what Bennett did, agreeing to serve as prime minister for two years before handing over to Lapid, the architect of the new coalition. Netanyahu's supporters have branded uh, Bennett a traitor, saying he defrauded voters. Bennett has uh, defended his decision as a pragmatic move aimed at unifying the country and avoiding a fifth round of elections. He is a modern Orthodox Jew. Um, he will be for Israel, their first prime minister who regularly wears a kippah, the skull cap worn by observant Jews. He lives in an upscale uh, area, suburb of Tel Aviv, um, uh, rather than in the settlements that he champions. There's more to be said, but he will have a uh, long and uh, prosperous reign over the next 
two years. He is Israel 3.0. That's what uh, one columnist for Israel's left-leaning Herz newspaper wrote in a recent profile of Bennett, a Jewish nationalist, but not really dogmatic, a bit religious, but certainly not devout, a military man who prefers the comforts of civilian urban life, and a high-tech entrepreneur who isn't looking to make any more millions, a supporter of the greater land of Israel, but not a settler, and he may well not be a long-time, um, a lifelong politician either, end quote. Well, Israel's fragile coalition government gets its first test launching airstrikes on Hamas, I mentioned earlier. And GOP Representative Waltz, he battles uh, Nancy Pelosi over renaming the squad the Ham- Hamas Caucus. In other news, President Biden is being urged to confront the Russian strongman on microwave attacks on U.S. spies and diplomats. As President Biden headed into the summit meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin, a bipartisan group of Senate lawmakers called on the president to raise the issue of direct um, energy microwave incidents targeting U.S. diplomats and top national security and CIA officials. Certainly the Russians are one of the key suspects. We don't know for sure, but keep in mind, there have been more than 100 American public servants who have been injured by these directed uh, energy attacks. Senator Susan Collins, a Republican out of Maine, said during an interview on CBS's Face the Nation, we need not only to take care of their medical needs, but also to find out who it is. She added, I hope the president will bring up uh, this issue with President Putin directly. Well, lawmakers led by uh, Collins and other members of the Senate Intelligence Committee pushed a bill to provide compensation for this 130-plus American diplomat group and CIA agents who have been affected by an apparent microwave weapon leading to what is now, uh, now known as the Havana Syndrome. The attacks were first noticed in Cuba five years ago, but since then have been uh, documented taking place in Moscow, in Shanghai, and even in Washington, D.C. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, in an exclusive, uh, exclusive interview with uh, Fox News, uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, former CDC director Robert Redfield, Jr., uh, warned scientists against expressing arrogance in their work that could lead to dangerous pitfalls due to their haste. Well, during a larger discussion on the dangers of gain-to-function research and the potential for lab leak scenarios as posited by many Americans following the coronavirus pandemic, Redfield warned against too much self-confidence in the scientific community. Redfield said that some scientists and researchers tend to show arrogance toward the infallibility of their work, believing that nothing can or will go wrong. It may be, in fact, that unfortunately that's not true anymore. That's something uh, did go wrong and not intentionally, Redfield said. In regard to theories about lab leaks, Redfield added that there is a possibility a worker or workers could have contracted a virus and simply been asymptomatic, leading to further infections that weren't so. Uh, It's not unfeasible. Is that a word, unfeasible? Uh, That this virus escaped asymptomatically and eventually as cases uh, developed in the elderly Uh, We began to recognize an epidemic, Redfield went on to say. Well, Ted Cruz says it's time for Dr. Fauci to go, calling him political and not scientific. Meanwhile, Lindsey Graham says China should be held accountable for COVID by the American people. ABC's Terry Moran says Trump weaponized the Wuhan lab leak theory, making the subject the COVID origins radioactive. A Washington Post columnist knocked Jon Stewart for pushing the Wuhan lab leak theory, saying celebrities aren't experts. 
Of course, neither are journalists in quotes. Rand Paul says those who uh, sent funds to the Wuhan lab cannot be involved in the second COVID origin probe. McGraw-Hill has been sold by uh, Apollo Global Management, and GM plans to boost spending on electric vehicles by 30%, adding two new battery plants. Wall Street workers want Florida transfers as uh, job uh, waiting lists are growing, and Southwest travelers were stranded throughout the country as technical issues continue. Well, President Biden is being mocked after his uh, meeting with Putin for calling on pre-approved reporters. The president uh, was mocked for saying the quiet part out loud on Wednesday when he admitted at the outset of his news conference in Geneva he would only be calling on reporters from a prepared list. I'll take your questions, and as usual, folks, uh, they gave me a list of people I'm going to call on, Biden told reporters following his anticipated meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Observers wondered whether the they Biden referred to was his communications team. Biden has often relied on pre-approved lists for news conferences. At his first formal news conference as president in January, most of the questions he took were from reporters that were pre-selected by his team, presumably with the questions known ahead of time. Then in March, President Biden was seen consulting a chief sheet that appeared to show the photos and news outlets of journalists who attended his news conference, some of whom had a circled number next to their images. The president has also taken some heat for not holding more uh, news conferences, a criticism White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki pushed back on in a seemingly softball interview with CNN's Brian Stetler. Psaki claimed Biden takes questions several times a week. She has uh, also admitted that she advises the president against taking impromptu questions which is absurd when you're considering that he is the uh, president of the United States. In other developments, CNN's Zelani, after Biden, uh, uh, Biden's presser says, I have never seen a president so protected by his aides from our questions. Nikki Haley says uh, Biden essentially gave Putin a big kiss during the Geneva summit. And Sean Hannity says Putin received a massive platform to, in exchange for zero concessions. Well, a New York Times reporter claimed teachers can't explain Juneteenth to students in fear of critical race theory backlash. New York Times reporter Astid Herndon was slammed by critics for suggesting that teachers will refrain from explaining the importance of Juneteenth out of fear of critical race theory opponents. On Wednesday, the U.S. House overwhelmingly passed a bill, 415 to 14, to make Juneteenth a federal holiday, one day after the bill passed in the Senate. Juneteenth, or June 19th, commemorates the emancipation of slaves in Texas, which occurred on the 19th of June, 1865, and has been observed by African Americans for uh, decades. Herndon, a CNN political analyst, presented the apparent uh, conundrum he said teachers will face going forward. It's kind of amazing. Juneteenth is uh, going to be a federal holiday for reasons teachers won't be allowed to explain to their students out of fear critical race theory backlash. Well, there is a vast difference, uh, Mr. Herndon, and I'm sure you know it, between critical uh, race theory and observing Juneteenth, a presidential declaration touching on slavery. Well, critics slammed the Times reporter for suggesting that the rejection of teaching critical race theory in schools equates to the rejection of teaching slavery and the civil rights movement. Stopping the teaching of critical race theory does not prevent teachers from talking about slavery, Jim Crow, or Juneteenth. That's just a flat-out lie from a very dishonest person. Ryan James Gerdusky, founder of the 1776 Project PAC, that was formed to combat critical race theory on a school board level.
In other developments, the North Carolina Representative Murphy's Campus Free Speech and Restoration Act aims to send the First Amendment back to school. And Charles Murray warns the U.S. is at crisis point where divisions on race and class may leave in America in name only. And a teacher defends pushing critical race theory on students, calling opponents racist conveniently. You disagree with me? You're a racist, bigot, homophobe. You picked the uh, moniker. Virginia parents slammed McAuliffe for calling critical race theory objections a right-wing conspiracy where a huge coalition. Well, offices in Hong Kong's pro-democracy newspaper were raided and were uh, executives uh, arrested. Hundreds of police officers in Hong Kong swarmed the office of the pro-democracy Apple Daily on Thursday and arrested several executives in what was called a blatant attack on its editorial team. The Apple Daily ran its own story about the raid and said five of its uh, of its executives were arrested for breaking Article 29 of Beijing's controversial national security law, which prohibits collusion with a foreign country or with external elements to endanger national security, end quote. An advisor for Jim Lai, the Hong Kong billionaire and founder of the next digital Apple Daily parent, called the raid a blatant attack. They are arresting editors. Advisor Mark Simon told Reuters they're arresting the top editorial folks. Sonny Cheong, an activist who has been in exile from Hong Kong after a warrant was issued for his arrest, told Fox News in a phone call that the raid showed the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to repress press freedoms. Beijing has clamped down on civil liberties in response to protests. Hong Kong authorities have arrested and charged most of the uh, city's pro-democracy advocates, including Joshua Wong, a student leader during the 2014 protests. Scores of others have fled abroad. Liberal networks have turned a blind eye after Jon Stewart goes viral with a Wuhan lab leak theory on The Late Show. Senator Cotton warns that China may try to collect DNA from athletes during the Olympics. And a Chinese Communist Party-linked newspaper highlighted a political cartoon mocking Christianity and the West after the G7 summit. Dr. Fauci denies scientists deliberately suppressed the lab theory, although emails uh, do tend to raise that question. And a Christian baker? You know, Jack Phillips, he plans to appeal a legal setback over his refusal to bake a gender transition cake. Yes, the story continues. Victoria's Secret announces major changes in their attempt to redefine sexy. Oh, thank you, Victoria's Secrets. That's a great service to humankind. Lawmakers are pressing General Motors CEO on California emissions and Mexican labor. Uh, DeSantis uh, pardons individuals and businesses punished for COVID violations. And San Jose passed a law uh, requiring gun buyers be videotaped. The FAA has mandated Boeing 737 MAX inspections for key automated flight systems as well. Well, world leaders laughed as uh, President Biden got confused at the G7 summit. Biden didn't seem to realize UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson just mentioned the president of South Africa before Biden said, and the president of South Africa. From another story, world leaders laughed at President Biden during a roundtable event at the G7 over the weekend after uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson had to remind Biden of something that had just happened moments before. In a very strange and slow speech, Biden confused Syria with Libya three times. AIDS brushed the gaffes off. Meanwhile, the G7 is off to a mild start, as the Wall Street Journal noted. The weakness of multilateralism is that it requires unity of purpose that can be uh, defeated by the lowest common denominator, 
participant. European leaders are reluctant to put their efforts to China at risk with too forceful a stance. That's why they've merely mumbled criticism of China's decision to strangle the autonomy of Be- that Beijing promised Hong Kong in its treaty with Britain. If the communique's nice words mean anything, the G7 leaders will have to do far more than continue to consult to counter China's trade um, uh, depredations, intellectual property theft, and threats against its neighbors. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. News and traffic up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, I'll share a conversation I had with James Gall. He's the author of The Feeler, discovering how sensitivity helps you discern and act on God's voice. That's coming up later this hour. Meanwhile, Speaker Pelosi on Omar's U.S.-Israel terror comparison, she clarified, we thanked her, end of subject. The Speaker of the House seemed to have no problem with the anti-Semitism that led to the comments. President Biden complained that he'll get in uh, trouble with staff for how he answers media questions. Not the first time he's done this and made that admission. Concerns are growing that China could invade Taiwan. The U.S. uh, top U.S. military uh, officers have warned in recent months that Beijing might try to make the explosive move this decade and recent saber rattling including a Chinese military amphibious landing exercise near the island is further raising the alarm. Senator Cotton says the U.S. military has been infiltrated with anti-American doctrine from the story during a recent Senate Armed Services Committee hearing. Senator Tom Cotton revealed there were hundreds of whistleblowers complaints from members of the military reporting on efforts to indoctrinate them. The excuse for some of this effort at indoctrination, stamping out extremism. But what is uh, what it was really about, Cotton says, was a very specific kind of anti-American indoctrination um, burrowing its way into the military. He told Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin about the kind of uh, complaints that came in the whistleblower hotline set up by Cotton and Representative Dan Crenshaw. A California gubernatorial candidate says Newsom is changing the California recall rules while the recall is ongoing. Governor Newsom and the legislature will ram through a new law, AB 152, to give him total control over the date of the recall vote. That this is surprising doesn't make it any less chilling. NPR says Tom Hanks needs to step up his anti-racist game. The far left can't be pleased with anything, even though uh, the writer admits Hanks is an outspoken advocate for gay rights and environmentalism. He complains Hanks' role as a so often focused on the achievements of virtuous white male Americans, which may have made it tougher for um, uh, tales about atrocities such as Tulsa to find similar space, end quote. Uh, Byron York says, you might never have thought of this before, but Tom Hanks has made a career of playing white men in the movies. NPR's critic is disappointed. Guy Benson called the nonsense exhausting. High school marks students set the prom uh, based on their vaccine status. Uh, Exeter High School, about 30 miles east of Manchester, hosted its senior prom during the first weekend of June and marked any student who didn't have a vaccination card with a black Sharpie Uh, while those who had gotten their jab were given a red mark. Now, one would assume that would um, segregate them based on dancing, eating, socializing, and so on. Bethany Mandel says, motherhood needs uh, better PR from the young mother of five. I blame this uh, perception of parenthood 
but more specifically motherhood on our culture. The media is to blame, sure, but I believe the larger problem comes from how motherhood is discussed on social media. Memes about motherhood are often about the struggle and difficulty because that's easier to market than the joy and fulfillment. Even pro-family conservatives get the message wrong, portraying motherhood as a noble sacrifice borne by martyrs. A California mayor is seeking a free-for-all guns owned by citizens, San Francisco Mayor Sam Licardo also wants to require every gun owner have liability insurance. Well, Speaker Nancy Pelosi is using uh, new security rules to keep some House Republicans from voting, and two of them are suing the Speaker. Congressman Louis Gohmert says it actually sets up a system where they can literally keep Republicans from voting. Now they could keep Democrats from voting, but they never do that. The creator of the Broadway musical Hamilton has apologized for this uh, new movie, or rather his new movie, because it's, well, a little too Afro-Latino, has too little Afro-Latino representation. The skin of the actors wasn't dark enough. Carol uh, Markowitz uh, says a reminder that the very pro-American Hamilton would not get uh, made today. Guy Benson says each founding father would stride on stage for the first time and apologize. Chuck Schumer is calling mentally disabled children retarded, but the media immediately forgives him. He has since apologized. The gentle tweet from Politico, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, used an outmoded word to refer to developmentally disabled children during a recent podcast appearance. For Molly Hemingway, the privilege of being a Democrat who is useful to the left's agenda is that the propaganda press don't destroy you when you do stuff like this. Not a slur worthy of cancellation, just an outmoded word. Uh, So nice for him. Remember when Trump was reported to have called an actress retarded? The media was all over him and nobody called it an outmoded word. Well, California plans to grant $100,000 of taxpayer money to rescue the marijuana industry. Legal drug dealers are struggling and the governor, Gavin Newsom, wants to um, help keep them afloat and perhaps his own political future. Democrats are stepping up uh, calls for Justice Breyer to retire especially now that uh, Senator Mitch McConnell said, again, he wouldn't permit a vote on a Biden nominee if it occurs during an election year. Progressives are concerned the GOP could win back the Senate in 2022. Hugh Hewitt says Justice Breyer will have to reflect long and hard on uh, Podboy's demand that he resign just prior to the most consequential SCOTUS term in his long and distinguished career because, well, they know President Obama. Well, a shocking number of uh, workers are choosing to quit their jobs. The wave of resignations marks a sharp turn from the darkest days of the pandemic. when Workers craved job security while weathering a national health and economic crisis. In April, the share of the U.S. workers leaving jobs was 2.7 percent. That's according to the Labor Department, a jump from 1.6 percent a year earlier to the highest level since at least 2000. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene visited the Holocaust Museum and apologized for past comparisons from the story, Representative Green uh, held an impromptu press conference on Monday shortly after a visit to the Holocaust Museum to apologize for reportedly comparing coronavirus precautions to the oppression of Jews by Nazi Germany last month, declaring that she is removing those comparisons uh, to her condemnations of mask mandates. From Ariel uh, Davidson, it would be good for Ilhan Omar and AOC to visit the Holocaust Museum to understand how damaging and insulting their rhetoric is and how their collective knowledge of history is abysmally bad. Meanwhile, Zogby says there is support for a centrist third party, especially among blacks and Hispanics. The FAA reports a record number of unruly passengers 
3,000 and counting, mostly related to the mask mandate, and they say it's getting worse. Ilhan Omar offends the uh, terror group Hamas with comparison to America and Israel, even though Omar tried to say she was uh, misunderstood, all sides understood. China flies 28 military aircraft over Taiwan airspace. From the story, China flew 28 military aircraft into, uh, into Taiwan's air defense buffer zone on Tuesday in its largest uh, such incursion ever, according to Taipei officials, as Beijing continued to express anger over warnings from Western countries and their allies about its military pressure on the island. From the Wall Street Journal, President Biden is telling the world in Europe this week that America is back as the uh, leaders of global democracies, uh, as the leader of global democracies. It sounds good, but China, Iran and Vladimir Putin would be more impressed if Mr. Biden wasn't cutting America's defenses, even as he rightly stresses the challenge from the world's authoritarians. Federal judge has lifted Biden's moratorium on new oil and gas leases on federal land. U.S. District Judge Terry Doherty sided with 13 states in granting a preliminary injunction that applies nationwide. The states challenging the moratorium were Louisiana, Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Georgia, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, Utah, and West Virginia. The Hungarian parliament is banning uh, showing LGBT content to minors as part of their legislation to combat pedophilia. Well, faith proves to be uh, proves rather to be powerful in battling COVID struggles from the story. In the past year, American mental health sank to the lowest point in history. Incidents of mental disorders increased by 50% compared with before the pandemic. Alcohol and other substance abuse surged, and young adults were more than twice as likely to seriously consider suicide than they were in 2018. Yet the only group to see improvements in mental health during the past year were those who attended religious services at least weekly, virtually, or in person. 46% report excellent mental health today versus 42% one year ago, as former Congressional Representative Patrick Kennedy said, uh, and journalist um, Stephen Fried uh, wrote in their book, A Common Struggle, the two most underappreciated treatments for mental health disorder are love and faith. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll hear from James Gall, author of The Feeler. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. My next guest points out that the scriptures give us a full color picture of a God who is moved by emotions, such as yearning, love, and compassion. Our human emotions reflect the emotional qualities of our creator who made us in his image. Feelings have a vital place in any believer's life, not just in those who have a more sensitive nature, like my next guest, uh, due to their personalities. Well, The Feeler, the name of the book we're going to be talking about, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice, it was written by Dr. James Gall. He delivers a remarkable biblical perspective on our emotions and how they help us to discern and act on God's voice. Well, Dr. Gall is the founder and president of God Encounters Ministries. He's an international best-selling author, a certified life language coach, 
an uh, advisor to leaders and ministries, and a uh, recording artist. He's a member of the Harvest International Ministries International Apostolic Team and an instructor for the Wagner Leadership Institute and Christian Leadership University. He has ministered in more than 50 nations and is a prolific author. He's also recorded multiple classes with the corresponding study guides and full curriculum kits. I don't know how he's found the time to join us here today, but uh, Dr. Gall will join us. Uh, The Feeler is the title of the book, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be with you, and you do a good job. Well, thank you. You know, my best friend is someone who is very sensitive, and she and I have had this conversation many times. She's been told throughout her life, you're just too sensitive. She's just now come to the point in her life where she recognizes that this is the makeup that God has designed for her and how that is a part of how, you know, he is calling her to not only know and serve him, but to serve others. So I'm really grateful for your book, The Feeler, because I think um, the way she has felt about being an emotional person and a sensitive person is how many people who would fit and describe themselves in that category feel about their makeup and are, and are dismissed because of it. No, that is actually true. Too often, I'm going to use a, you know, just a little phrase, we pigeonhole people. Yes. And I'm trying to undo that redemptively. Now, it is true Sometimes too many people live life with their feelings on their sleeve, as we say. But our God is the creator and the maker of our emotions. And God is an emotive God. I open up the first chapter of this book in that manner. And you really consider the fruit of the Holy Spirit Well, I think joy has a little bit to do with emotions, and I think peace has something to do with emotions, and something called, oh, love includes emotions too. So if we take a a full view of emotions, then, and if this God, Jesus, lives inside of us, that and he wants to express himself in and through us, then, hey, then we each can be a candidate of God expressing his emotions in and through us. Well, I appreciate your introducing balance because you're right. It's possible to be led by one's emotions that can be somewhat unreliable. You write in the preface of the book, it has been quite a journey learning how to navigate this yeah. uh, dimension of being extra sensitive yeah. and eventually yeah. learn to see this quality as a blessing and not a curse. What a roller coaster ride it has been to learn yeah. how to redemptively yield this realm to the Holy Spirit and not let it control me. And I think that's a description of any aspect of our Christian life that we uh, redemptively yield every area of our life, including yes. um, our emotions and our sensitivity. That's absolutely true. Because here I'm talking about, again, see, we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, we often add in there, we walk by faith, not by sight and feelings. Now, we got to qualify that because our feelings, our healed feelings are a part of then our, you know, just who God has made us. 
because we are made in the image and the likeness of God. And God wants us to be whole in every area of life. And yeah, I'm just going to be really honest with everybody. It's been quite a roller coaster ride for me to learn to become comfortable in my own skin because I have been personally wired. I'm going to use that word Mm -hmm. because it might connect with other people listening. I've been wired by gifting, by calling, maybe by birth order, by where I grew up, by how I grew up, to be particularly sensitive. But I want people to also know this, the Holy Spirit is sensitive. And not only is the Holy Spirit sensitive, we must learn to be sensitive to the sensitive Holy Spirit. (laughs) So it's quite a bit of a fun dance to go on and then to teach people how to walk this out in a practical and not overly mystical, mm-hmm. in a practical, real way in life. Well, how do our emotions impact our relationship with God? Oh, wow. They do a lot because, you see, we must learn to respond right and not react. And if we have unhealed areas, in our life, which most of us do, then we will react. Let's just say there's an area that we have suffered from in verbal abuse. Oh, and maybe it came from a father wound. Well, if that hasn't been healed and we haven't, let's say, forgiven, and then it hasn't been cleansed through the blood of Jesus and it hasn't been healed, then we are going to tend to have a reactionary emotional response in verse instead of a healed emotional response. Now, but when we have a healing that occurs in a wound or a trauma, and I'm just using this one like a father wound, but when it's a healed and we know that God is a good good father and that all things work together for good for those who love God been called to his service and when we really know that we then don't tend to react emotionally we tend to respond emotionally with what goodness ourselves in and through our emotions because it's how we perceive who God is that God is good. So it really does make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, people, as we all know, have been dealing with heightened emotions through this season of pandemic. What advice do you give? um, Because we, (laughs) there's a lot of confusion and challenge going on right now. What's your advice? You know, that is a really good one. I'm also a certified uh, life language coach. And we find that even through our communications assessments and like pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, that there is a big difference in uh, how people are communicating. And so, and I pull all of these things together. And so I find, I'm just going to use, uh, I don't mean this as a religious cliche at all, but keep your worship on. You know, uh, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. Faith 
propels us. Fear paralyzes us. And let's be a, let's be a little candid for a moment. In this pandemic, a lot of it has been very fear-based. Is it science-based? Yes. Is it fact-based? Yes. Is it amplified by a lot of fear? Absolutely. And a lot of people have been very impacted by the fear. And let's also be honest about something else. A lot of people have been impacted by the trauma. Mm-hmm. Losing jobs, some people health, some people sickness, and some people, some friends or a family member okay, with sickness or death. So we have loss, we have trauma, and then we have, though, the other arena of just fear. So how do we deal with those issues? I just really want to say, you got to keep your praise and your worship going. Mm -hmm. You have to. And these are one of the ways, particularly for extra, for sensitive people, you've got to keep your worship. You got to keep your worship. You got to keep the word, the word of God. If you don't keep the word grafted into your soul, James chapter one, which is able to save your soul. That's not talking about going to heaven. That's about your mind, your will, and your emotions being washed, being cleansed, being healed, being delivered. And feeler people, oh, we all need the word. And sensitive people all the more need the anchor of God's word. Mm -hmm. So keep your worship on, keep the word in you and on you, and keep your helmet of hope on the full armor of God. And it's the helmet of salvation, but it's also called the helmet of hope. And hope is the positive expectation of good. So those are three little things. Keep your worship on, keep in the word, and keep your helmet of hope that something good is just about to happen. Amen. We're talking with Dr. James Gall, his latest book, The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. I need to take a quick break, but we'll return in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. James Gall. He's the author of The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. Now, earlier in our conversation, you uh, mentioned that you grew up as a sensitive child. Are there ways that we can avoid being oversensitive? Oh, wow, being overly sensitive. So, one, then, if you um, are a parent and you are have, you know, different children all have a different bent. The book of Proverbs says so. Creating a safe place is so very important. So very important. And so, um, man, there's a whole lot that I could say about this. So I grew up as a extra sensitive child, again, by gift and calling by personality, by many different reasons and ways. I was the child that did like being alone. I was the child that often, though, felt like on the outside looking in. Now, these 
children are often very creative, but they need to feel safe. And um, prayers of a father and a mother, and I'm going to lean into this moment and just say, the prayers of a mother make all the difference in the world. But creating safe places are so important. And this is a huge subject that I can't really develop in this time right now with you. I would love to. And so I just got to kind of bounce that ball and to the audience just say, hey, creating a safe place for sensitive children is very important and help them debrief and unpack because they pick up things and they then internalize. So help them unpack, create a safe place, and let them know that they know that they know that they have a good, good heavenly father who loves them at all times. How do we train our senses? Obviously, we everything yeah. about us, we submit to the lordship of Christ. How do we train our senses that so often can uh, mislead us or uh, deprive us of, of peace? Well. Again, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 says, Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, some people probably render this, have their senses trained to discern good versus evil. But the mature need to discern both good and evil. And, but it says through practice. And so this is so important. It's through practice sessions. So I want everybody out there to know this. Allow yourself a learning curve. Allow yourself practice sessions. Allow yourself that there's in everything in life, when you learn to ride a bicycle, you have training wheels at first. And that's practice. And then you take off perhaps one and then you take them both off, and then you push the child down a little ways, and the bicycle falls over, and you help the child get up, and you keep on going. And then sooner or later, you're rejoicing because the child has learned to ride the bike by themselves. But it takes training sessions. Well, it's the way for us, too, even in this area. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained. So we learn to train through practice, and it is the way for every single one of us. At the end of each one of your chapters, and they're very practical to help uh, the sensitive to navigate their relationship with Christ and to bring Mm -hmm. even their sensitivity under his lordship. At the end of each of your chapters, you have a prayer of a passionate heart. Can you explain how the chapters are designed and how that prayer helps the reader uh, to really uh, apply what they've learned? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, You know what I also do, it's not only how I close, it's how I open every chapter. I open every chapter with a verse of the Bible because I'm framing it with the word of God. Then I close it with prayer because we need to learn to practice to pray what we've been taught. We're not just supposed to be hearers of the word only. 
but we need to learn to pray the word, pray the teaching. It's just like, it's too, it's sad that a lot of people might go to church, hear a sermon and do nothing with it. So I'm giving us a template, the word, and then I teach. And then I'm giving us a practical application of to pray the principles into being. And that's what we need to do with everything in our life. And particularly, that's what I'm trying to do in discovering how sensitivity helps you discern and act on God's voice. We're talking about the book titled The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. My guest is Dr. James Gall. How much of a difference has it made for you and you would expect for your readers who are sensitive uh, to come to understand how uh, their sensitivity can help them discern and act on God's voice? What difference has that made in your walk with the Lord and how do you anticipate that might affect others? You know, thank you so much. You know, I wrote I've written different books. I've written over 40-some books. One of the books that was a pioneer book over 15 years ago was called The Seer. So I've written The Seer. I've written The Prophet. I've written Dream Language. And I've written um, the, you know, different ones. The Discerner is an excellent complement to this one, The Feeler. Now, the, The Seer, when it came out over 15 years ago, the word that I got and I still get It's translated in over 20 languages. The word I get still to this day is, that book gave me sanity. You know the word that I'm getting from people already, because this is a best-selling book already. The word I'm getting from people around the world already is, oh my gosh, James, thank you for writing this book, because now I feel sane, because people have been labeled They've been categorized in wrong ways. And this is helping give a dimension of like, hey, wait, we need to, we need to uh, redeem this. I'm not giving people a license see, to be led by their emotions. I'm helping people to get healed, be made whole, but also realize. This is a part of all of our lives. We are made in the image and the likeness of God. God is a creator, and God is Holy Spirit is sensitive, and we are to be sensitive to him. And so one of the major things is that this is actually granting a dimension of like, wow, aha moments to people. And I sure hope that it's going to bring healing, safety, wholeness, and just that enlightenment of thousands of people around the world. Well, uh, Dr. Gall, I so appreciate you writing the book and taking the time to talk with us about it. Again, Dr. James Gall is the author of The Feeler, Discovering How Sensitivity Helps You Discern and Act on God's Voice. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, blessings to you and your show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Tomorrow on the program, I'm looking forward to taking a look at the lighter side of the news as well as the headlines, and we'll share the Christian outlook. 
On Tuesday of next week, just want to give you something of a head up, heads up. Um, the Union Gospel Mission will join us in studio for their annual radiothon. And as you can imagine, in the year of a year and a half of a pandemic, uh, they have some stories to tell. So looking forward to that. That's coming up next Tuesday. Well, despite a global pandemic that precipitated an economic lockdown resulting in millions of people losing their jobs, Americans and their generosity didn't likewise take a downturn. Instead, because of the pandemic, the American people became even more generous. According to a newly released report, Americans' charitable giving in 2020 increased over the year prior uh, by more than 5%. And that really is quite remarkable when you consider the year we had. Well, total charitable giving grew 5.1% measured in current dollars over the revised total of 448 Uh, $0.66 billion contributed in 2019. The annual report on philanthropy for 2020 found adjusted for inflation, total giving increased 3.8%. Individual giving increased by 2.2% to $324.1 billion, setting a record for the highest dollar amount. Interestingly, giving to churches only rose 1% over 2019 levels. Um, Lilly Family School of Philanthropy's uh, Una Osili at uh, Indiana University, uh, the associate dean there uh, for research and international programs, attributed this to physical restrictions imposed during the pandemic. Osili uh, noted that reduced attendance often leads to less giving. People aren't there to give, and that's how most people give in a church setting. They give while they're there. You can, of course, always mail in your tithes and offering, but it's less likely the case because it's not naturally how one gives um, in churches. Now, that varies from place to place, but I think you get the general idea. Asili also identified the rising number of so-called nuns, individuals without any religious affiliations, as having a, a future impact on the charitable giving as well. Younger households are less likely to attend services and affiliate, uh, she points out. A very large part of charitable giving overall is correlated with attending services frequently and also with religious affiliation. Well, that could mean American charity wanes in the coming years. Yet it's refreshing to uh, learn that Americans are still, by and large, very generous folks who are concerned with uh, helping those in need. Even the growing number of irreligious Americans uh, should serve as a motivating factor for religious Americans, especially Christians, to reach out and share not only their wealth, but more importantly, their faith. Well, that's not so much uh, to ensure that America's uh, generous spirit continues, but rather because the truest generosity is found in a willingness to love people and especially those who may be the hardest to love. And we've had plenty of opportunities for that in this last year and a half with the pandemic and other events that have taken place all across the country. Well, if you uh, weren't with us earlier in the program, I mentioned that I had surgery on Monday to have my gallbladder removed. I didn't know I had one or where it was. I know now. Uh, It was done laparoscopically, which means it's less intrusive, although you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that it could be worse (laughs) in terms of pain. In my case, there were four small, relatively small incisions, but um, there are four incisions, and that goes through course, everything, the stomach's lining and the muscle tissue and all of that. So it's a bit of a challenge. And as is usually the case when there is a major surgery, well, a surgery, this was a day surgery, um, they're required to put some kind of tubing down the throat. And of course, that was the case uh, here again. I really questioned whether or not, given the series of events, I was intubated for several days when this all began, I believe back in February, and I've had tubes um, down my throat 
at least a dozen times that I can recall, I've often wondered, is that going to impact my ability to sing? And while I have had a few opportunities, and I'm so grateful uh, to sing with family, um, I was able to sing, but not quite uh, to the same degree as before. Well, my condition, my struggle is ongoing, so I'm hoping that as things uh, heal and resolve, and that uh, will also heal and resolve, but I, I don't really know. In any event, that's why my voice sounds so scratchy now. It was much worse when we started the program at, at four, um, but that's the reason it's so scratchy now. It's because, once again, um, when you go in for even a day surgery, uh, you have to get oxygen, and I was told there were there was a tube or tubes down my throat. Uh, I, I must say, this procedure was at Providence. I spent the most time in hospital at Emmanuel. I must say how impressed I am and how grateful I am to the medical professionals who served in all of the hospitalizations I've experienced over the last several weeks. These are men and women of tremendous generosity uh, who have put themselves potentially in harm's way just by working. And I'm grateful that they were willing to do that. Um, they served exceptionally well, and I'm grateful for the progress that I've made because they were willing to do that. They could very easily have simply said, I don't want to put myself in harm's way. I don't want to put my family in harm's way. This is before the vaccine, when it first came out and so on. Um, they, they could have chosen not to do that, but served um, exceptionally well. And I am so grateful uh, for their skill, for their willingness to, uh, uh, to do what they do like nobody else can. Uh, but also their kindness and generosity in terms of how they related to me as a patient and to Dan Rice, who was the only family member who was ever allowed to come into a, a waiting room or um, into a hospital room. So very grateful for that. I'm hoping this is the last intrusive procedure that will be required. This one came as something of a surprise. I had a test a couple of weeks ago to take a look at my pancreas um, because it was inflamed and I had been diagnosed with pancreatitis. They said my pancreas looked good, but that my gallbladder had a single stone in it. Well, I've never had issues with my gallbladder. I've never had issues with gallstones. So I'm not, I'm not sure what that means, short-term, long-term. Uh, I did have a period in um, late December and through January where I was extremely ill and in a great deal of pain. I don't know if that was gallstones. I, I really don't know. At this point, I'm just hoping this, this is the last time I have to have a tube of any kind inserted down my throat and any kind of an intrusive procedure, but we'll see. I'm grateful to uh, be in a position where um, there are people who are skilled to do it where I can afford to have it done. And so I don't want to be, I don't want to seem ungrateful. I am very grateful for all that's been done up to this point. I'm grateful that I have um, health insurance and um, all the things necessary to reach recovery. So all of that said, that's why I sound a bit uh, strange today. I hope I sound better tomorrow. Uh, but that's uh, that's kind of the explanation for today. I hope you will join us here tomorrow. We'll, of course, take a look at headline news. But we'll also take a look at the lighter side of the news and share this week's Christian outlook. Uh, also, uh, we might have a little time either on Friday or Monday to talk about the future of the Georgine Rice Show in that we have been broadcasting from remote locations all across uh, the uh, the cities of Hillsborough and, and Salem and Portland, uh, for a year and a half now, and we're going to be making our way back into the office at some point in the not-too-distant future. It's now just a matter of a few weeks, and that means that we can return to live programming or we can actually take calls. There's just a lot that uh, will change uh, when that happens, and we'll talk to you more about that 
uh, if not tomorrow at some future date. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, Dan Rice for the use of his office, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.